Namo tassa bhagavato rahado samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahado samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahado samma sambuddhasa Udang namang sangang namasami It strikes me that one of the most uh, common sticking points that we find in that practice is the uh, kind of conflicts that occur between the what we experience meditation, the way we see meditation, the way we see our activities, you know, speaking, doing things, functioning, making things happen, planning for the future, remembering past and so forth. You've got this kind of level of reality and then you've got a level of experience where you're supposed to be kind of not thinking about the future, dropping the future, dropping the past, uh, not doing very much, um, present moment awareness, as it were. Uh, you know, and then sort of, you, so a certain set of values start to gather around um, these particular polarities. You know, you might have a set of values around being still and quiet and open and relaxed and, you know, not making anything happen, not trying to fix anything, letting go, releasing, this kind of thing, so that we find, you know, we're doing that when we meditate. And uh, so we start to feel this, this is, this is Dhamma, you know, this is Dhamma practice. And then, you, you know, you're finding that you're sort of trying to do something or talk, do, fix something, make something happen um, in the when one gets off the cushion, as it were, it gets rather uh, confusing because one just doesn't have the the skills. Um, we're trying to stop things happening, slow everything down to a kind of snail's pace so we can be mindful of it or subdue the intensity of experience or the noise of it or the clamour of it or the speed of it. Um, or the complexities of it. So there always seems to be a a kind of conflict that one can experience probably most uh, strikingly. Sometimes when you come out of retreat (coughs) on one level, you come out of retreat, it's just been, you know, three hours, you've been sitting there three hours watching the breath and nothing much is happening. And then in three seconds in daily life, more has (laughs) happened. There's been more input in three hours. <laughs> that is, the mind kind of spins a bit. <laughs> and then of course the other way is, is when one's um, kind of downshifting from uh, activities into meditation. You know, you've been fairly busy doing this, doing that, and you come sit and your mind sort of judders because it can't actually slow down or, or track things at that kind of level. You know, might as well be racing ahead of the present moment or uh, orbiting around trying to figure things out, plan things, sort things. Is this right? Is this not right? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to get to? Am I meditating properly? Should I try this system or that? A lot of, lot of busyness. Even when it's actually focused on meditation, we can be, you know, meditating, you know, sit down, then what am I supposed to do? And, um, uh, which particular technique should I use and is this going right, you know, 
and often we begin to learn that really, you know, basically just takes time. You know, you sit there for a few days, letting things shake themselves down and sort themselves out, you know, and be a bit uneven and lumpy, uh, feel not very good. And maybe that's the way it, it is, you know, this kind of process. So there is different gearings, aren't there, that we can operate at, and which is true. But certainly, one doesn't want to develop whole kind of attitudes and viewpoints around these, so that only one um, set of values is 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 appropriate. So, if we set of values around activity being sharp, spontaneous, quick, um, um, and so forth. You know, then it doesn't really work when you're meditating. But just being soft and open and spacious um, in daily life doesn't always work. <laughs> you're so kind of snarled up with it all. But re- really, what it comes down to is, you know, the kind of common denominator is the mindfulness of the mind is a basic practice. Mindfulness of chitta, mindfulness of the effective mind, mindfulness of how we're being affected, what we're being moved by from moment to moment. And this this holds true when we're sitting still, when one's act, acting, doing things. You know, mindful of the mind, because it's not about any particular mind state; it's just of any mind state that comes up, citta, the effective mind. And there are certain things that one recognises, you know, just about citta, is it's volitional, it has a certain push to it. It means when we're affected, one of the, one of the things we experience in citta is the sense of, it's got a kind of motivation. It wants or it doesn't want, it uh, hangs back or it pushes forward. It runs around or it sinks down. Mm. It's got a certain, you know, push to it, which can be intense or flurried or or withdrawing. It can be kind of reverse gear, overdrive, whatever. It's got this volitional push. Sometimes we can feel very impatient. Sometimes we can feel, well, we want to dig our heels in and slow things down. It's too much. So this is something you contemplate when you contemplate chitta, not, not just the purely the, the um, thoughts but, that are going through the mind, but the kind of volitional push there. And when we contemplate this, you begin to recognize within certain, you might say, you know, the ethical or the qualities, the emotional qualities, like impatience, aggression, um, doubt, mm, ambition, fear, uncertainty, wavering, mm, need, hunger. Mm, these things that uh, are there, which we don't always recognize uh, because uh, it doesn't speak it that way. What so often happens is the volitional thing is happening and we're thinking. We're just buzzing away, or we're acting. 
either in our meditation, we're trying to get something going, pushing forwards, or in, in our daily life. So it's um, one of the kind of crucial points in Dhamma practice is, is you've got to kind of actually allow some of this movement to arise in order to really see where it's coming from. So if we just um, try to cap or cut off the mind movement, just you know, hold it all down, you don't, you don't really see into the underlying emotions, movements, psychologies that are, that are getting it going. So you can kind of hold it flat, rather like you're holding um, a wriggling puppy. You can kind of hold the puppy down and think, right, that's got it. And then you let go of it and the thing just kind of bounces around all over the place again. <laughs> yeah, as, if, as if puppies shouldn't move. Uh, as if the mind shouldn't move. Hmm. So we can have a kind of uh, develop an attitude around mind that mind should be unmoving. Should, nothing should be happening. Hmm. Because we can't actually handle the movements uh, of it. Some of the movements are certainly careening, wild, uh, uncertain. And yet the Dhamma practice is just giving the mind a big enough or a suitable container that's not too tight and not too loose. You know, so you've got the room for, it to, for the, some of this, this karmic momentum, this volitional stuff to kind of come up and you can hold it within a certain space and witness rather than just immediately cut it off. It's rather like, I think Ajahn Chah used the image of, of when you want to, to really um, liberate the mind, then if you use the image of like cutting grass, you see, so if you, if you um, just keep, just every time a sprout comes up, you cut it off, you don't really get into the roots of it. So if you let this, let, but if you just let it go wild, it doesn't get it to either. But the idea is to actually allow there enough grass to grow to find out, you know, there it is, and then you investigate the roots of it. So with mindfulness of the mind, you, you know, you're really trying to actually inquire into the volitional movements of it. What's this about? How does it feel? And that requires a kind of uh, enough space, enough confidence, enough discipline, if you like, to both the confidence to allow the mind to express itself, however kind of crazy it may seem, and the restraint to allow it, just this is enough, and just, just to hold it here. Mm. Mindfulness is both these qualities. It's certainly a holding attention onto you know what's happening, what's coming up, the welling up yeah. and uh, holding your attention there but at the same time allowing it to well up so you look into not just the superficial verbalizations that are coming up about this and that and hinge da, 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 but the the underlying quality the fearfulness, the nervousness, the 
spikiness, the irritatedness, the uh, hungriness, the, um, yeah, the joyfulness. Mm. Certainly not all negative. And so I think certainly in, in uh, monastic life is a big, uh, quite a subtle balance between trying to hold a kind of level of, of discipline and restraint um, without throttling the creature that we're trying to train or liberate. Because mm. jitter is also that which can be liberated. So you don't want to strangle the chicken. You just want to, you know, wring its neck, but trying to um, take it out of its fear or its panic or its um, delusions. Mm. There's a kind of careful, a special kind of holding is required. The Buddha said we should practice the mindfulness internally and externally. So it seems to be the reference to to what seems to be the internal experience of our minds. Yeah. Uh, welling up, moves and so forth, and then the external experience of them, which is how other people's minds work, how we how our mind works in relationship to exter- to the external world, what the external world does, you know, how we get jangled by it or soothed by it or inspired by it. So there seems to be this kind of level of an external reference to to mind, an internal reference to it. how they affect each other. Actually, this even seems to have relevance even when we're sitting purely internally, if you see what I mean. Uh, When we're we're meditating, there's often a sense of there's there's a me and there's my mind. You know, there's the two of us there. There's me and there's my thoughts. There's me and my memories. There's me and my... Defilements as me and my joys, me and my ambitions, me and my hopes. There seems to be the two of us going on there somehow. And there's often a little bit of a, a tension between the two. You know, one takes over, runs along, the other one says, well, wait a minute, what about me? <laughs> you know? And this is, is what seems to occur externally as well. You know, we've been in a situation, a context, something's happening. Um, you know, we're doing something with other people and then some part of us starts to wait a minute, how about me? Uh, What's going on for me? Nobody's listening to me. Wait a minute, I didn't agree to that. Uh, You know, we were going with something and we find something starts to arise within that that separates what it feels not in harmony with it. An imbalance has occurred. And then suffering begins. Stress begins around that. Probably see this happen so many times. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, what does it take to really, you know, meet the flow of experience, either internally or externally, just to, to, to keep your eye on the ball, if you like. 
I get an image sometimes of a of um, the process of becoming of the kind of things arising, things flowing externally, internally, wherever, has been rather like a rolling ball. And mindfulness is someone who's able to stand on that rolling ball as it rolls and not slip over or try to stop it rolling, but just to be able to stand on on a ball as it rolls, keep in touch with it. Um, and then, in fact, if one keeps in touch, if one's on the rolling ball like that, then there's no sense of, of being spun out. We're actually still, and yet there's movement at the same time. Mm-hmm. We've found an edge where the, the stillness and the movement are not in conflict. Uh, the sense of, of what's happening and who it's happening to are not separate. They're not in conflict. There's a kind of flow between the two. And there are those moments probably when that happens for us. You know, when you get the, the flow moment, you know, when you feel you're with something, it's just, just uh, you're really right on the, the edge of it, you know, right on the movement of it. And you feel free, you feel weightless, you feel there's no tension, no drag. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> What often happens is we, once we get to, once we arrive in that state, we tend to, oh, this is rather nice, <laughs> and then you cling, cling, and then you, we lose that we lose the, the balance, you know. Mm-hmm. Because actually, in in the, in the sense of flow, there's no real, no real experience of me as separate. The me bit comes from wanting to have, wanting to hold, wanting to indulge in it. So when we, we actually, you know, whenever there's a sense of me and other, you can recognize something, um, there's a need for liberation, there's a possibility for liberation. And this we come to through um, exploring, through penetrating, through revealing what's, uh, how we're being affected. We're doing something, we're with people, we're, and then something, we start to feel a sense of self-consciousness, me coming up, what's happening? You know, and it may be, um, don't, don't like this, don't feel comfortable with this, either not interested or, or whatever. Yeah. And it seems there are different, different. Um, you can kind of look look at these these experiences of, of dissonance. I would say dukkha dissonance. And there seem to be certain kind of primary snagging points around which we may experience something like fear, or of the fear family, such as nervousness, tension, uncertainty, wavering, you know, something don't, don't feel right, don't feel right, anxious, unsettled, something like that. Or we may feel something like uh, resentment, irritation, sorrow, you know, around, around this edge. And then what comes up is our story, you know, as, as that mood comes up and we feel here am I being you know, left out or dumped on or whatever. Mm. 
And the first of these is is um, experience of it's too much, it's too much, it's too much going on, it's too much for me, overwhelm. Yeah. Um, this can be either things are moving too fast, <clears throat> too complex, I can't process it, or we can't meet it. That is, you get you know somebody's got a lot more energy, bigger, more energy, more power, uh, smarter than than me, and I feel. Uh, overwhelmed and something in me starts to seize up can't, can't take this much you know. you get a kind of seizing up experience and then there's a movement away hmm. a too much experience you kind of, so you get a locking, a seizing up of course this doesn't this seems to help in a way because the seizing up means I'm kind of closing off. But it, it, so often it doesn't work really, because particularly if, if you're um, with somebody else who, who's happened to be doing it, they don't recognize they're doing it, so they keep going on, and you're seizing up and seizing up <laughs> till you blow up. <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> you know, you ever get that experience, you know. Somebody's too quick or too fast or too big or too loud or whatever. And you find yourself shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, but you can't, you can't signal it because you're overwhelmed. So you just keep, go- they just keep going. You're being very quiet, aren't you? Yeah. And then you, so eventually something, you just kind of either you, you snap back or you feel overwhelmed. The opposite can happen, which is like, like Underwhelm, if you like, there's not enough going on. Like, uh, um, you know, what, what, what are we supposed to be doing? I mean, where, what's going on? Could you, you know, what's happening? Um, seems vacant or sterile. So you can experience this um, sometimes in, when everybody goes quiet. Say, well, I've got this suggestion. People, what about this, that, and the other? Silence. Uh, well, you think it's a good idea then? Silence. Uh, bad idea? Well, maybe. Uh, what's going on? So you get that, that kind of feeling of, of something's gone wrong. Oh dear, something's gone wrong. Maybe I did something wrong. You know? Or you get uh, resentful, angry. Mm-hmm. It's rather like somebody pulled the plug on your energy. You had a bright idea, a bright feeling, and you had this thing, oh, it's great. <laughs> it's this kind of <laughs> nothingness. And you go, uh, uh, and say, What's going on? These things are happening in, in uh, between people, aren't they? in groups, aren't they? Because sometimes it's the case that um, one person's sense of nothing going on is another person's sense of too much going on. <laughs> you know, somebody comes to me with all these big ideas, and I feel completely overwhelmed and pushed back, and then they start getting angry with me for not responding. You know, I was feeling overwhelmed and they were feeling underwhelmed. 
when you get that this conflict you know some people seem to well sometimes we seem to want contact want input you know uh, want touch want feeling want somebody to say something and other times we oh it's too much and when you get people in different modes meeting you know you get this strange dance and one person is trying to back off and quiet it down the other person is wanting more <laughs> input and information and then and you get sort of um, his, his impasses occur and what it seems really so important is just to find the place where, where we can meet you know like signal uh, wait a minute before we start doing anything can there be actually just a, a meeting place before we start the the program is meeting, meeting, meeting. Yeah. This itself is very interesting. Most of the time, I imagine people we meet each other with um, a story, a request, a joke possibility, greeting, meet ourselves with a something, here's my bit, pleasant bit, urgent bit, important bit, funny bit, meet ourselves with a thing, we don't actually just meet without something, Yeah, a few a little while ago, just uh, talking to somebody, <clears throat> saying, "Well, what's it like just to actually be silent and just look at look at each other for as, as long for one out breath without saying anything or doing anything, <laughs> just to maintain contact, eye contact." One out breath, and, and just let the breath go out and breath come in. You feel, so you get the end of the breath, you feel a bit agitated, right. um, nervous. It's ridiculous, you know. One out breath, just to maintain eye contact with one out breath, and then and maybe an in breath. You feel embarrassed, um, awkward, or should be doing something, um, or saying something or you know it's a very strange sort of uncertain tremble it's almost like you know the, the, the almost like the nakedness of mind is frightening and then just the Recognizing this, something that we used to do as kids, you actually stare at each other, but then the whole idea is a certain sort of aggression behind, I can do it, I can look at you longer than you can look at me. You're not really meeting, it's just it's a sense of like wrestling. You know? But just to meet without feeling like, right, I'm going to prove something, you know, I'm going to hold it, I'm going to hold my gaze no matter what, but just meeting in an open way, like naked, very uncomfortable. Uh, even with someone you know for years. Mm. 
at that moment one isn't really creating any karma being anybody being funny or interesting or unhappy or um, anything the nakedness is rather itself you know quite revealing just to see how effective the mind is and how it almost wishes to clothe itself in some kind of karma or another some activity or another and what it takes to actually you know, just not to have a, an attitude that there shouldn't be any action but what's it like just to put it down even the subtle perceptual action or the you know, emotional action of doing something, you know, laying something out, trying to be something, trying to produce something. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, that's interesting, isn't it? Because at that particular moment, that in that particular experience, there's a real sense of how the me experience is being formed. You know, the sense of meanness in that in that kind of exchange. Well, a lot of a lot of fear in it. Need to you know, have my bit defense, okay, reassurance. Quite a lot of fear. So I think certainly this, you know, when you look at overwhelm and underwhelm, both of them can be strongly rooted in. Uh, in the fear principle. We get uh, another pair, if you like, are the fear of change. Things are, I like things to be steady, same every day, know where I am. You know, fear of uncertainty. Feel uncomfortable with uncertainty, with the unpredictable. I want things spelled out in advance. I want notice. I want structure. I want names. I want numbers. I want promises. I want it in writing. You know, tell me where I am. Right now, I'm okay. And if we see that can go to to extremes. And again, the opposite, feeling trapped. You know, it's this place like a jail, you know, you've got to, you're just stuck, you know. Stay off the day, the monotony, the systems, the structures, just get on my nerves. I feel I'm going to be crushed by it all. And our minds can kind of swing, you know, between those, those poles. Probably sometimes, you know, it might be a certain disposition that swings more one way than another. And in, in, in this uh, monastic life, you find both of these are, are very, very clearly presented in a way. There's the, the sense of, you know, the tradition, and it's always been this way, and, you know, um, Theravada Buddhism, and monasteries, and the Rinia, and the training, and yada, 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 and you go, oh, stuck in this thing. <laughs> you know, it's so, it seems so rigid sometimes. Other times it's like, you know, suddenly 
you know, 500 laos turned up, start cooking down. I think, oh goodness me, chaos. Um, you know, the, the the unpredictable, which is what the the mendicant life is about, about things just happening and people turning up and things breaking down and making do and not really knowing what's going on and different people going through different stuff and you think, oh, you know, I wish I could have someone where it's more steady and we can kind of swing from one to the other I want the people here are predictable, reliable no loose cannons, no wild cars, no mavericks just, you know, sorted and then, you know, you get that for a while and think God, it's so dull in here. I want something with a bit of life and spark. <laughs> you know, some vitality, not just a load of robots. Uh, <laughs> you kind of mind flickers. But when we look into this, you know, the our underlying sense of dis-ease, you know, that can occur. You see, the basis is fear. Fear of what? Being overwhelmed, fear of being crushed, fear of being not getting enough, fear of, you know, very unverbal kind of fear. It hasn't got any voice to it, it's just a trembly sense. Fear of getting it wrong, fear of being. And then, and, the, and of course, what, what caps them all is. Nobody notices how terrified I am, how nervous I am, how uncertain I am, how wavery I am, how intimidated I am. So we get fear, fear of fear of fear of being seen. You know, fear fear of our fear, fear of our fear being noticed. You know, about fear is a strong word, but un, uncomfortable with a sense of being seen. Yeah, in that kind of trembly state or panicky state or anxious state or needy state. Not solid, not not strong, not confident, not you know. Because that one in a way, it seems to be the kind of overriding thing. Yeah. Because I don't even want to see it myself. Not only do I don't want anybody else to see it, I don't want to see it. See how much of one's... Um, there are certain kind of strategies that come out of that. One is, well, the um, safest thing is to... Um, Withdraw, you know, just space out. Don't get in touch with this stuff, don't touch it, just space out. Look somewhere else, go somewhere else, find something to feel embedded in, you know. So I'm in the flow again, I'm in my book, I'm in my trip, I'm in my whatever I'm doing, you know, and there I am, out of that wobbly space, out of that naked space, into doing something. So you get a kind of compulsion into particular activities. Um, pastimes, processes, thinking, speaking, whatever we do, uh, where we feel, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got an act here. I can keep going. I'm okay with this one. You know, I can manage. I can run my thing and look good. It doesn't necessarily think that, 
but as a kind of pre-verbal inclination towards experiences which don't uh, make us look raw or edgy or uncertain. Mm. You know, we'll just withdraw, just go quiet, wait for it to pass. Wait for the sticky moment to pass. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really sad to see how many times one one fly will do that. You know, was was defer to fear. It's the safest thing to do. It's to cover up. Fear of being hurt, fear of looking not so good, fear of looking a bit, uh, un, you know, angry or upset or whatever. Mm. So, but as long as that caps everything, then what, you know, what are the results? If that particular process is, is surveying everything, if our lives are held by that, then we never actually you know, get a chance to, to see into the, the passions or the dreads or the joys or the urges that arise and really uh, meet them, understand them, contemplate them. Of course, one of the, the um, you know, safest areas to practice in is, is in, in meditation where you just can sit and uh, just feel out where, where one is right now. Sometimes, you know, I don't do much more than that, actually. And it can be the me sense feeling it should be, wants it ought to be doing something, it should be getting on, it should be making something happen, it should really get down to it by now. Wait a minute, where's that coming from? You know, where's that drive coming from? Is that just the spiritual uh, quest? Or is it something a little more down to earth? Like, uh, let, me get on, let me get some karma going. Let me get my act together. Don't, don't let me see the, the uncertainty or the... the uh, the nakedness of the mind. So sometimes they just sort of sit there and feel what's happening in the body. Because the body has less stories to it. And feel a certain, sit there and feel okay, it's like, you know, is there anything here that's in the way and look like a certain tensions around the chest or the stomach and explore it Mm. 
So rather than being driven by attention, just to be with it. What's around us? Good sense. When the mind is saying, well, let's get on, let's get to the next, let's get on, let's get on. What's, what's wrong with where we are? What's, what is it? I find that's a useful question. Mm. Will things not, by their own nature, move along anyway? Why do I have to get on? Doesn't it move anyway? You know, what is that? Get on with it. Get get going. Let's have something happen. What's that about? Almost like sense of let me get into my act, even if I'm no good at it. It's just to to bury myself in something. What's it like to not have a next? Be present feel those kind of volitional wellings up and pushes and breathe in and breathe out with it. So me, this is often a very significant layer of experience, not by any means the be all and end all, but a very significant layer of it that uh, like like a piece or a part of the journey to be crossed with care, often we leap, we try to leap over it, the uncertain, the wavering, the searching for positions, the trying to get going, the positioning of ourselves. And then this is where karma gets created. It is based upon my, you know, that volitional push comes the idea of where I've got to get to, uh, what I need, and even who I am, and even what, I'm, what my problems are carry the whole thing, you know, the sense of momentum to try and get things happening, to get to the place where I'll be all right, and it, it, you never get there. Or waiting for the right situation to occur for me, waiting for things to settle down, for it to become quiet, or never happens. But that territory where we recognize the, that what we actually have to do in meditation is to, first of all, undo ourselves, be a little more naked, less prepared. And actually, rather than that rendering us uh, less capable, it actually takes us to the point the the point, the obstacle, the one point you know, the sadness or the resentments or the, the thing that's driving us and then we can be with that and let it go 
and then things naturally happen, move along. The process has got a natural movement to it. So often you find myself, right, sit, and it's going to the body, feeling the tensions and the defenses and the bashed up or whatever it is that I experience. You know, from all the possibles and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and it's got to happen and all that kind of stuff. And just wait there until that has has um, crystallized and released itself. And then find that the signal is, for me anyway, feel the body and the breathing. I can feel the breathing happening, fully breathing in, fully breathing out. There's a sense of feeling loose and trusted and safe. You know, that you can actually let everything out and be present and breathe everything in and be present. It's really it's like the example of when you're with someone else. Can you breathe, look at them and then breathe all the way out and breathe all the way and then you know there's nothing there. There's no nervousness, no fear, no self-consciousness, trust. And similarly in oneself, when um, things, when you begin to allow the unresolved to, to materialize in its awkwardness and its hurtness, just be held in a space of, of mindfulness and trust. And it seems to me anyway that what begins to occur as one acknowledges and lets go of that is that the practice moves on, that we've crossed that piece of territory, then you feel the natural movement, breathing in, breathing out, or whatever your meditation theme is, it comes to us. And it seems it's a useful paradigm for our, our daily life in that very often you know, I certainly find myself in trying to make something happen or trying to make the monastery a certain way or make bring, you know, make something that's uncomfortable disappear or something comfortable happen, you know, and you're trying to push, push it, you know. And the, was the first thing I have to do, really, is to let it be the way it is. Not like, this is all it's got to be. It's got to be this forever. It's got to be uncomfortable forever. But just to let it be the way it is for now and, you know, let go of the frustration or the agitation or the uncertainty. And then it seems that that allows it to change. Allows my perspectives to change. Suddenly things don't seem so intense or so wrong or so necessary. The need for certainty in outward forms doesn't seem so necessary anymore. The need for um, uh, orderliness or quiet doesn't seem so necessary, it doesn't matter. Because the underlying fear has been acknowledged and uh, relaxed.
Ramaya 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 Ramaya